Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. When we hear the word discrimination, we normally think about people being treated differently because of the color of their skin or their gender. Most of us do not think in terms of genetic disability. Today's guest, Mary Four, challenges us to rethink our notion of discrimination. She is the author of the essay, New Forms of Discrimination Against the Disabled, which can be found in the August 2017 issue of Ethics and Medics. In this podcast, Ms. Four discusses how and why our culture expects parents to abort children who are diagnosed with genetic anomalies. She then offers practical suggestions for both addressing and countering this expectation and demonstrating the unique gifts of people with disabilities. Mary, good morning. Good morning. I was wondering if you could, if we could start off our, our podcast today uh, with you telling us a bit about your education and your professional background. Sure. Um, I went to the University of Notre Dame for undergraduate, um, and there I studied political science and philosophy. Um, after graduation, I opted to go to grad school at Notre Dame as well, getting a master's in education through their Alliance for Catholic Education program. Um, while I was teaching with the Alliance for Catholic Education, I started a nonprofit for adults with special needs called Teaching Together. And Teaching Together partners with Catholic schools to provide jobs as teacher's assistants or library assistants or grounds crew assistants even for adults with special needs. Um, I taught for five years and um, taught in Catholic school for those five years. Um, really enjoyed having the Teaching Together program um, as, as part of that. Uh, the Teaching Together program is still going, and, um, but currently I have moved on from teaching uh, for now into um, a position as the Director of Life Issues for the Archdiocese of Washington. Great. Um, I think you've probably already answered this question when you were talking about the, the nonprofit that you started, but what drew you to the topic of discrimination against people with disabilities? Well, so I have an older sister named Marita, um, who has always been my best friend, probably the biggest influence on anything I have done in my life. Um, and Marita has multiple special needs. And so um, I first learned about the link between um, individuals with disabilities and, and the life issues when I was very, very young, um, learning about how these people are, are actually targeted um, for, for extinction, really. Um, and having an older sister um, was what, with special needs was what led me to start the Teaching Together program. Um, and through my sister and through the Teaching Together program, I've met hundreds of people with special needs um, and really have just developed a passion for um, fighting for equality for them. So this article and this and our discussion today really has a very, very personal uh, connection with you. It's very obvious. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, great. Well, with that in mind, how does, how does your way of approaching the issue um, give people a new perspective on it? Yeah, so I think that... Um, there are a number of people who are not with us on the life issue, who 
do not believe that um, that abortion is wrong or that that a woman does not have the right to choose the end of life for her child. Um, but those people can see the injustice of targeting a specific group for extinction before they even take their first breath. And and so I think it really draws in people who otherwise may not be with us on the issue. Interesting. Do you have you ever run across people who may be with us on the question of abortion and other things that when they're confronted with uh, parents or maybe themselves, if they have a, a diagnosis of a, an unborn child diagnosed with a genetic disability, that they may actually favor terminating that pregnancy. Have you ever seen that side of the issue? You know, I have. Um, and I, I think that what is at the root there is fear. And I, I think fear is really at the root of most abortions, um, that people are afraid that they're going to be alone, that they can't do it, that, that this life is going to be filled with suffering um, and pain. And, and really one of the things that I think is really important to be able to do is to show people the joy and to show people the gifts that people with special needs have that, um, that are so needed in our world um, and, and to allow them to see that they can be a part of a beautiful life by giving life to their child. Um, I think it's also really important for us to make sure that they know they're not going to be alone in caring for that child, that you know, this, our community and our church is the one that uh, loves and respects that child and creates a place for them because they, they already have a place here. We just need to acknowledge that they do. That's a great answer. All right, let's let's move into your uh, the article that you wrote for uh, Ethics and Medics. And one of the things you say when when you were writing about modern attacks on people with disabilities, you say in your article, "quote Instead of being condemned, these attacks are championed as acts of freedom and disguised as rights. The right to choose, the right to die, and the right to have a child are just a few." Each of these rights discriminates against individuals with disabilities, and the expansion of these rights will lead to broader discrimination, unquote. So let's unpack this a little bit. Um, from your perspective, how has society caused and perpetuated the so-called right to choose and right to have a child? You know, I think we live in a society that really um, values autonomy. We really value having the right to choose what we have and when we have it and how we have it. Um, we also are a society that really values utility. We want what we want to work the way that we want it to. Um, and all you have to do to see this is to, to look around and see the restaurants that are popular. You know, we see you can go in and make exactly what you want and it will be finished and ready for you instantly. Um, we see this with technology where, you know, we, we, we communicate with people in a matter of seconds. Um, and in a society like that, when we're faced with something like a difficult prenatal diagnosis or an unplanned pregnancy or a difficult challenge towards the end of life, we shy away from it. We want to be able to choose the path that we wanted for our life. Unfortunately, a lot of times that leads to us choosing to end another person's life. Um, which in, in this case, when it's 
targeted specifically at people with disabilities. There's no other word for it than discrimination. So how do you how do you counter that? How do you you know when a family that you know in your work um, in the in, in the life office in the Archdiocese of Washington, if you have someone, you have a parent. Uh, you, or, or anyone who is in this situation and they're using these arguments of autonomy, they're using these arguments of utility, even though they may not be using those words, that's what they're saying. How do you respond to them? You know, I think, I think we need to focus on the worth of a human being, you know, that every single human being has value and worth regardless of what we get from them. We need to stop focusing on what we get out of people and start seeing their value as human beings. And when we see their value as human beings, coincidentally, we recognize that we actually do get a lot from these people, that they have so many gifts to give to society. But sometimes we're moving too quickly. Sometimes we don't slow down enough to be able to see those beautiful gifts um, and, and to be able to see that it may not be instantaneous delight, but that it is a beautiful gifts that these people have to share with us. Do you ever use the, the example of your sister when you're talking with people about the gift that yeah. people with disabilities can bring? I do. I often do. My sister um, has an incredible gift of patience, you know, where she, um, I think because of a number of the challenges that she has undergone, Marita never rushes anyone through saying anything. She is, is willing to sit with a child who may not be able to speak as quickly and wait for them to say whatever it is that they have to say. Um, she's incredibly patient with, with me as I struggle through different things. Um, she, she just never feels the need for something to be instantaneous. And, and I think a lot of that is due to the challenges that she faces on a daily basis, where you know, it may take me five seconds to tie my shoes, and it might take her two minutes. You know, and um, I think that that virtue of patience that she has developed there um, is something that that then shines forth in everything that she does. Um, and, and Marita's ability to love is the same way. You know, Marita is constantly vulnerable because she constantly depends on other people to help her do things that we can just quickly do on our own. But because Marita constantly depends on other people, she's able to love more quickly too, because she doesn't put up those walls and barriers that we put up where, you know, if, if we might be less willing to allow someone to help us, but because of her challenges, she's open to that, which also makes her more open to love, um, which, which ultimately makes her you know, a much better person than, I could ever hope to be. Do you find those qualities in your, that you de describe in your sister, are they qualities that are shared by other people you've worked with who have disabilities? Absolutely. You know, I, I know one of our uh, teacher's aides with, with autism, um, he struggles with speech, um, but comes in to work, you know, each, each time he comes in, has the biggest smile in the world on his face. And when you ask him how his day has been, he could tell you anything from, oh, it's been a really rough morning, to it's been great. But regardless of how his day has been, he comes in with a smile 
ready to, to greet you and to make your day better. It's just such a beautiful gift that we just don't encounter. So many times I walk in ready to complain about however my day's going, um, ready to bring other people down. Um, but this young man comes in with that huge smile that just lights up the room um, and is ready to make other people's day better regardless of how his day has been going. Why is it that the the mainstream press doesn't want to touch this issue? Discrimination is a hot topic. You know, like like I said, regardless of what people think about the life issues, I think the majority of people have a problem with a specific group of people being targeted for extinction before they're born. If we were saying this about women, you know, that's another thing that would get people up in arms because, again, it would be discrimination. And, in fact, we can say it about women, um, but the, the numbers aren't as radical at this point as they are with someone with special needs. Um, but, you know, when we, when we saw in the news this past week about a country like Iceland where they have virtually eliminated people with Down syndrome from their population, where you can sit down and in 10 seconds, you can name all of the people who were born with Down syndrome last year. That's something that people cannot stand for. Now, this is something that regardless of how you feel about abortion, you can say, wait a minute, I know someone with Down syndrome, and you're telling me that they're trying to completely eliminate these people? That's a major problem. And it's one that I think leads to the unraveling of the abortion argument. If we can't kill people because they have Down syndrome, eventually, hopefully, we get to a point where we say we can't kill them because they're people. How would you respond to those who will say, you use the example of Iceland. Um, There are those who will say, well, Mary, look, I mean, we've, you know, through genetic diagnosis, and other forms, we've identified these children who have Down syndrome or whatever. We've terminated those pregnancies. We've now ridden Iceland of this genetic anomaly. That's a good thing. How would you respond to that challenge? I would say Iceland is missing out. No, I think all you have to do is walk into a store that employs someone with special needs and you can immediately recognize that that person makes that store a better place. All you have to do is go to a special Olympics tournament and see that you cannot possibly be sad while you're there. There's just no way for you to be able to do it. And you can see immediately that Iceland is missing out. I think that when we talk about eliminating genetic disorders. If we're going to talk about that, we need to talk about eliminating the disorder, not eliminating the people who have the disorder. There's a huge difference there. One is an act of genocide. The other is curing a disease. We want to be on the side that says we're curing a disease. So let's go back to uh, the the question or the the issue of discrimination. Um, When did the implicit discrimination against people with disabilities emerge? Or has it always been present, but just not able to be acted upon until recent developments in neonatal medicine? 
I think the discrimination against people with special needs has always been present. You know, if we look at ancient Greece and ancient Rome, um, we see that these people were often uh, thrown off a cliff um, shortly after birth. Um, we see during the time of Christ, these people were labeled as unclean or their parents were thought to have sinned at some point. Um, there was a reason why Jesus was considered countercultural for interacting with people who had disabilities. Um, more recently in the 1900s, we see Adolf Hitler had his program Act in T4, where he attempted to rid the German population and the population of this country that the Nazis conquered of people with disabilities. Um, we see, as I said before, Margaret Sanger's plan to um, to use birth control to rid the world of tainted progeny. Um, in the 1980s, in the United States, we see babies, or a baby, baby Doe in Indiana, um, who was allowed to die with a blockage of the esophagus, but she was allowed to die really because she had Down syndrome. Um, and so this is something that we have seen all throughout history, um, but it's something that as science advances is becoming less and less visible because it's being able to, to, to be done earlier and earlier in these people's lives. With your response to that last question, um, Mary, you claim in the article that the expansion of the so-called right to choose and the right to have a child will lead to broader discrimination. Right. What's that going to look like? Is Are you saying that advances in medicine that are leading to children being terminated earlier and earlier so that they are not seen, is that the greater discrimination or is it going to lead to greater discrimination beyond that? I, I think that that is one part of it where um, pre-genetic testing, uh, prenatal genetic testing is, is becoming um, somewhat of a parental duty for women who are of a certain age or have a certain genetic history. Um, there's a lot of social pressure there. Uh, and I think that that's one form of the discrimination. The other is this movement, the right to die movement. Um, that um, is another example of overarching autonomy, um, but is one that will put a lot of pressure on families and on people with disabilities themselves to end their lives after, after they're already here. Um, and we have seen this take place in European countries, um, but as, assisted suicide becomes legal in states across the United States. Um, this is a way that, that we will eventually see discrimination against people with disabilities because the reason why we allow these people to kill themselves is not because of intolerable suffering. It's because the person has a disability that we ultimately say, you, you can't end your life. Um, and that, that understanding, so-called understanding, that we're developing of seeing, well, I can, I can understand why someone would want to end their life if they were paralyzed, or I can understand why someone would want to end their life if they could no longer control their vows. That is a form of discrimination, because there are a number of people who live with those challenges every single day, and they live beautiful and fulfilling lives and they have value because they are people. Picking up on the, on the, the right to die arguments, 
Um, to people with, now granted, this is there, there's going to be different um, levels of genetic disability and um, different severity of it as well too. But are people going to be pressured to end their lives, um, understanding what that means? Are they going to be able to understand what is what is being the pressure that's being put on them? Or are they simply going to be told with the narrative of the culture that this is something you should do? I think that that depends a lot on who the person is. I know that my older sister constantly wants to please others. She will do just about anything to make someone smile or make someone happy. And I know that that if she were faced with that pressure of, hey, hey, Marita, it would be a lot easier for everyone if you ended your life. I know that that would be a really difficult challenge for her to comprehend um, and, and something that I pray she will never have to face. My family will do as much as possible to protect her from that. Um, but I pray that no one in society will ever approach her with that attitude because um, I know that that would be extremely challenging um, for her to, to comprehend and to understand. Do you think we're going to that point? I think that in some, in, in European countries, um, we are going in that direction. I think that here, compassion and choices, I think that here, compassion and choices will work very hard to tell people that that is not where we're headed, that um, assisted suicide is about pain and suffering. But if we look at the numbers, for, and the statistics for the reasons why people commit assisted suicide in the state of Oregon, pain and suffering is not in the top five. But what is, is the fear of being a burden on family members and the fear of a disability. And those are things that lead us to discrimination. The National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly devoted its spring 2017 issue to gene editing technology. How do you think this technology might affect individuals with genetic-based disabilities? I think as we approach this um, notion that we can fix human beings and, and make them perfect, um, we need to approach with a lot of caution. Now, this is, um, this is something where it would, be, it would be wonderful if we could cure something like cystic fibrosis, but, but it would be terrible if in doing that, we simply eliminated people who have cystic fibrosis. Um, I think that, you know, as we, as we approach the notion of perfection, um, we need to be careful because we can't create a perfect human being. Um, and, and we don't know where trying to will lead us. We don't know if that will lead us down the path of saying, oh my goodness, it's, it's better for a person to be above six feet tall or it's better for a person's IQ to be above this level. Um, and so I think that's something that we need to um, be, be very... I'm cognizant of the dangers 
in, in, a, in thinking that we can perfect people. I think for people who are already here with disabilities, um, I think that this, again, can lead to discrimination towards them. Because if we're treating their genetic disorder as something that needs to be fixed, then it becomes very difficult to treat them as someone other than someone who needs to be fixed. So how would you, what advice would you give a researcher who's working in this, in these fields? Well, first I would say you cannot destroy life in an effort to find cures. Which is happening. Right. Which is happening. Um, and, and I think secondly, you're not God and keep that in mind as you do this, which doesn't mean that you don't make attempts to cure diseases, but it does mean to keep in mind that you are not ever going to create a perfect human being and that attempts to do so, um, would be, would be wrong. Those who champion the rights of people with disabilities have been out, like yourself, have been outspoken against the use of pre-implantation uh, and prenatal genetic diagnosis to screen out embryos or abort children with genetic anomalies. How effective do you believe theirs and your efforts have been so far? And, and how can the church better work with these individuals in their ongoing efforts? I think that they have made a difference. I don't know how much of a difference. You know, when we have a country like Denmark saying, uh, by 2030, we will be Down syndrome free. I don't, I don't know that we can say that um, we have been successful. Um, but if it saves one child's life, it's a success. You know, and, um, and hopefully we have done that. Um, I think that the church can work with these groups by saying there is a place here for people with special needs and by making these people visible. You know, if, if, if we look around our church and we don't see anyone there with special needs, then we should ask ourselves, is that because there's no one with special needs who lives in this area or is that because they don't feel like they belong here? And if it's because they don't feel like they belong, then we're not doing our jobs. John Paul II said that these people need to be a part of everything that we do. They need to be included in everything because they make up part of the body of Christ. And without them, we're incomplete. And so as the church, we need to be working to make sure that these people know that they have a place in our communities. So what would you say to the sort of the normal, average, everyday church-going Catholic, someone like myself who does not, I'm not the, the, the father of, uh, of a child who has a genetic disability. There are no genetic disabilities in my family that I know of. But what, what would you suggest um, people like me do in terms of supporting, aiding families who do have a child? Because it is a burden. <laughs> Um, what mm -hmm. can, what can you do, um, to, as you said, to welcome, um, people with disabilities into the church and to be members of the body of Christ? I think the biggest struggle for my sister has been finding friends. 
And I think that that is so sad because we grew up in a, in a very Catholic community. You know, but the, the biggest struggle she faces is that she's lonely because she doesn't have that many friends. And so I would say the first thing that you can do is you can, you can meet someone with special needs and, and be their friend. So, and, and that means reaching out to them once in a while. That means inviting them to birthday parties. That means making sure that they have the opportunity to enjoy the things that you're enjoying. Uh, and and I, I, I think that a lot of times people are, are afraid and, and don't understand how to do that. Um, but all it takes is a smile and hello, my name is blank. You know, and, and the rest will follow. These are people who are longing to feel like they belong. And so I think reaching out and, and creating that relationship. Um, and there are places like Special Olympics where, you know, if you have never met someone with special needs before, just go to a Special Olympics tournament. And there are a number of people there, and, and most communities have a Special Olympics program. Um, and most communities are able to um, help you to, to meet these people. Um, and then invite those people to church with you. You know, invite them to, as I said, to birthday parties, um, and really just make them a part of the fabric of the community. Uh, I think that there's so many times when we see someone with special needs in public, we sort of try to look the other direction when really it would make that person's day if we just looked them in the eye and smiled. You know, and that, that is a, a small thing that can, that can really change someone's day completely. Um, and it doesn't cost us anything and it's not very difficult to do. How about with the with parents of children who have special needs? You you um, you, you struck a nerve in one of the, the last things you said that people are afraid, and and I've experienced that myself, but not so much with the individual him or herself who has a disability, but say with parents. If you know they're they're the parents of a baby who um, yeah. has has a disability, and it's like. From my perspective, I, I'm kind of like, okay, what do I do? Do I say something? Do I not say something? And then you're so paralyzed by not knowing what to do that you don't do anything. And I think that probably right, gets, right. gets gets translated as non-support. What what would you say would be a response um, to parents, of, particularly of young children who have disabilities? Yeah, I mean, I think asking, um, do you need anything? Is there a day that I can come over and you know, hang out and, or would your child like to come over and play with my kids? We would love that. You know, I think, I think any little bit of encouragement, there are a number of challenges with having a child who has multiple special needs, you know, and, and um, a lot of the times it's very tiring. Um, and that's not to say it's not extraordinarily rewarding, but it is, it is tiring, I'm sure. And I think that sometimes those parents could use a helping hand, you know, they could use someone to say like, Hey, let's, let's all grab coffee together. Um, I think that at times I know um, for my parents, they're, they're, they were so grateful when they knew there was someone that they could count on when they needed someone to come and watch my brother, my sister and I. Um, and when they knew it was someone who was going to be understanding of 
of our family dynamic. Um, so I think doing things like that really, really ends up meaning a lot to people. That's a great way to uh, meet one of the corporal works of mercy, too. Yeah, yeah. Mary, you've, you've kind of already talked about this, but um, in your experience, how do people like Ben, one of the people who you, you mentioned in your, in your essay, what do people with, uh, people with disabilities, what do they uniquely contribute to society? Well, I think they contribute in a number of ways. You know, I know the owner of Walgreens has um, set up distribution centers where he hires people with special needs partially because he, you know, has a, has a love for these people and wants them to feel like valued members of society because they are, but also because these people are, are really effective workers, you know, and they, they do not slow production or distribution at all. And in fact, they increase it. They increase the, the level of happiness in the workplace. They increase um, the joy. They increase the likelihood of other people coming to work. Um, and so I think that there are, there are gifts there. I know um, with one of our teacher's aides with special needs, one of the students was asked, what's your favorite thing about Miss Anna? And he said, well, you know, when the teacher explains something and I don't quite get it, she comes over and she explains it to me and then I get it. You know, and, and this is a young woman who, had, who suffered a traumatic brain injury and has multiple disabilities. So their, their gifts are, are countless. Um, but I think perhaps the greatest gift that they give us is they challenge us to be better human beings. They challenge us to be the very best version of ourselves because we can see how much they're doing with the gifts that they have been given. And we can see the joy that they have every day. And, and we can look back at our own life and think, how can I, how can I follow their example? How can I walk in their footsteps? How can I celebrate my life the way that they celebrate theirs every single day? Um, and that's something that our world needs more of. Mary, that was wonderful. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, visit our website, ncbcenter.org and subscribe to our publications Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. I'm your host, Joe Zalot. Thank you for joining us today and we'll see you next time.